hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Pass. Welcome to the Ghost Story, guys. I'm Brendan Storr. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 64, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? I'm doing well, Brennan. How are you doing? I am good. I'm, I'm looking forward to ruining more summer vacations with this episode of uh, <laughs> Haunted Camping Stories. Yeah, KOA will probably sue us. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just throw it on the lawsuit pile. I think after a while, it just reaches critical mass and they cancel each other out. I'm pretty sure that's how lawsuits work. Is that how work. that works? I am fairly certain. Excellent. Well, then I feel safe. I, If I know nothing, I know the law. Oh, okay. Then. That is the appropriate response. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, funny enough, just after our last episode came out, I had a message from um, Adam and Arthur, who were the uh, fellows I met at one in LA. Of, yeah. In LA, yeah. yeah. And um, they were saying that they were saving that episode t- before they went on a really long camping trip. Oh, Lord. Right? And terrifying. I'm telling you. So, uh, yeah. And now we've got another episode with which to ruin whatever's left. Of yes. their vacation. I'm quite pleased with this. <laughs> because I'm a terrible person. I know. Yeah. I know. And uh, speaking of listeners. Terrible people? Oh. Well, well maybe. Um, you, you were know. pointing at me, so I just assumed. <laughs> no, I, w- I was referring to our listeners, Stephen Holly, who yes. were in town from Albuquerque, New Mexico. And bless their heart, they took us out for dinner. They did, which is an expensive proposition. It is, but God love them. They took us out and they were very sweet and we had a good time with them. Yeah, it was really great. Yeah, a lot of laughs. I do love doing that, getting to meet people who, uh, it just kind of makes it real. Yeah, 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 for sure. No, it was great. And now just before we hit record, you said you, despite every shred (laughs) of common sense anyone could possibly have. (laughs) Are considering going camping next weekend? Um, yeah, I have a little tiny motorhome and it's quite secure, so I feel uncomfortable in its security. Nope, nope, not unless it's <laughs> bulletproof. Unless it's one of those motorhomes they use to chase tornadoes, and even then, <laughs> it could be. It's big enough, like wide enough. It's wide enough. It is, enough. however, not. No, it's not. No, in my head, it is. Bigfoot is going to punch through oh that thing. Oh my god! And then he's going to wrap his hands around you. No, it's going to be all bad. No, all bad. Not. Well, then you know, after this episode, I might. I don't. End up... I, I don't even go in Beacon Hill Park after the sun starts to set. <laughs> well, I wouldn't do that. Either. Yeah, fair. Um, you know what? Maybe after this episode, I'll just end up camping at like Walmart parking lots or something. That There's works. A lot of bright lights. Yep. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. After after this most recent round of stories, I think you may just give that up entirely and. Join me watching nature documentaries on Just television. Just sell the motorhome and stay home. Yeah, exactly. It's a nice motorhome. You can probably get some good cash for it. Mm-hmm. But yes, on this episode, we're going to be telling stories of camping. And how this came about is last episode was, of course, the woods are trying to kill you. Yeah. And there were so many specific camping stories. We sort of looked at them and thought, well, why don't we just take these and make a whole other episode out of it? Which makes sense. I mean, where does most camping happen? In the woods. I thought you were going to say outside, and I was going to say yes. <laughs> yes. No, I mean, most of the time it's in the woods. So it makes sense that, yeah, there'd be a lot of crossover there. So that's great. We've got some stuff from, weirdly, uh, a couple stories from Georgia. Oh. Uh, the state, not the country. Uh, <laughs> just to be clear. Or the woman. Or the, well, yeah, or that. <laughs> We've also got stories from Mauritius from the 1970s. Wow. Which was kind of a left field pull. And a whole whack of other stuff. So I'm really looking forward to getting into it. Nice. Before we do, though, we have a musical guest on this episode. Mm-hmm. They are These Roads Are Haunted. The song is Death Toll. It's from their album Quiet Apocalypse. Wow. All of that just sounds scary. 
It's pretty great stuff. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> and you can find more from them on all the major streaming platforms. Coming up after the break, Camp Nowhere. And I mean nowhere. Welcome back. As we said before the break, this episode is all about weird things happening while you're camping. Mm -hmm. And as has become abundantly clear, I have kind of a fraught relationship with camping in which I, you know, I don't like it very much. Because when I lived in Revelstoke, which was the last time I went camping, which is 13, 14 years ago, uh, it was really just an excuse to go get drunk in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I I just, I I don't do outside very well. I don't do the sun very well. Uh, Daylight... I just, animals. You're like a raccoon. Uh, kind of, yeah. yeah hide yeah. underground until the darkness falls. Yeah. And emerge I, I, Max. It's true. No, yeah. that kind of adds up. Yeah. yeah it does. Uh, but um, the one thing I liked about camping was things like roasting marshmallows. Mm-hmm. Back then, I used to work in a store with my, which my family ran. It was sort of like a deli. Uh, Bocce's. It's, as mentioned in my book, A Strange Little Place, available oh, everywhere. Fine books are sold. What I would do to sort of replicate this experience, because I didn't drive and, you know, who the hell wants to go outside? I, we had a stove in the back, and so I would fire up the ring burner all the way, and I would get a fork. Now, bear in mind, this is an electric element. This yeah. isn't even open fire. Yeah. And I would just hold the marshmallow yeah. over the burner and wait for it to brown. And this was sort of how I had my camping experience while never having to leave the comfort of my own wow. home. Wow. <laughs> that is so sad. I don't think of it as sad. I think of it as kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Like uh, Limited? Nope. Pathetic? <laughs> Improvisational. Crushingly depressing? Improvisational. Oh, sorry. Yeah. And highly adaptive. Yes, that's it. There like a go. raccoon. Yeah. Let's you, and did you then wash the marshmallows under running water? Was that part of the routine? Ah, raccoons are too fancy. <laughs> There's a line. So, yeah. So, that, that was sort of my, my take on camping. We used to always camp. Generally, when I hit sort of my early, early teens, my mom had had enough. She would load up the Suburban and the big trailer god bless her heart because my dad would stay in town and work and my mom would take us out she took us one year to like Kelowna, and there was a mudslide so she'd go back to crosness pass like oh wow she did this all on her own with a kid in grade five and from kid calgary in grade three from calgary that's awful so you know looking back i have a lot of respect for her but one night a very very creepy man and we were in a tent trailer keep in mind um and she didn't tell me about this till after we left it was in Fernie, and he parked at the end of our campsite in the provincial campground. And at some point in the middle of the night, my mom heard him trudge up the thing and try the door. And she, Jesus she Christ, was terrified. So that pretty much ended our wandering camping. And then they bought into this place that was like a massive, massive campground with full hookups and like two swimming pools and hot tubs and a and a little store and oh yeah like, like an rv park kind of thing yeah yeah, right, yeah but yeah. but much more transient you can stay in a spot more than two weeks right so they kept it really fresh but like free firewood and um but the nice thing about that was you made friends 
Right. So and my, there were fewer itinerant strangers hoping to murder you in the night. They had to go through a gate. Exactly. <laughs> right. So I think that's the thing that scares me most about camping. I mean, as much as, you know, there's the spooky element, mm-hmm. it's just this idea that you don't know who the hell is going to be out there. No, you don't. I mean, there was just a story that Paul published on the Mysteries and Monsters Facebook page about a woman. We were talking about this, actually. We had the Ghost Story Guys live show tonight, and we were talking about this. There was a woman who disappeared off a trail right. and was gone for a couple of days, and there was some talk about it being like a 411 case, but it actually turned out when they finally found her alive, thankfully, with her dog, a maniac had chased her off the trail with a knife, Yeah, and she just booked it into the woods. Yeah. And that doesn't happen in my house. So <laughs> the woods can go fuck themselves and so can camping. Well, and I, I I brought this up in the live show too, but I think there are some people in this world who, while they behave perfectly normal in urban environments with lots of people around, you put them in a rural setting where they know no one can hear you scream and they're going to become predators. I really do believe that. And, and th- you hear those stories quite a bit. And that's exactly the kind of purge bullshit I just don't want to deal with. (laughs) Right? I mean, all joking aside, paranormal or not, there is some danger out there. Yep. Just don't do it, folks. Just don't do it. Of course, I'm a coward, so maybe I'm not the best person to listen to. Yeah, I'm a coward too, so. Mm. Maybe we'll read them the stories and they can decide for themselves. If we're cowards? Uh, No, they know that. Oh, Yeah, no, that's that's locked in. Oh, good. Okay. Excellent. Our first story is called Camp Wheelgate. When I was a preteen, I was a Girl Scout. And as all Girl Scout troops do, we attended a weekend outing at a place called Camp Wheelgate in West Virginia. Camp Wheelgate was not technically a camp, as it did not have tents or cabins, but rather consisted of three Victorian-style farmhouses. Our group was staying in the largest of the three. For the first night, our group stayed in a downstairs room, because our leaders had not been able to get a fire started in the upstairs fireplace. Then, on our second day, we took a walk to an old church in the area that had its own graveyard. As teens and preteens often do, some of the group was less than respectful of the place. I recall that some of us rang the bell in the old church, and some of the group played on the graves, uh uh-oh, and at the altar area of the church. That night, the leaders were able to get a fire started in the upstairs fireplace, so we moved our belongings upstairs and settled in to play games and have a fun night. A couple of the scouts said they'd experienced a white mist on the stairway and felt as though they were having a lot of difficulty walking up the stairs. Others, myself included, were certain that they'd seen a face looking out of an upstairs window when they'd been outside. Fairly early in the evening, I was overcome by a headache and nausea, which had never happened before, and I decided to lie down to see if it would subside. Shortly afterward, we were all stunned by the loudest noise we'd ever heard, a kind of bang. The scout leaders looked all over the house, trying to locate the source of the sound. The only thing that was found during the leader's search of the house was that ten heavy iron cots, which had been in another room, were missing. The cots had been in the room as we settled in for the night, and were so heavy that it would take two to three adults to move each one. The cots were nowhere to be found. Understandably, our troop leaders decided to remove us from the premises for the remainder of the night. I don't even know what you do with that. I mean, I think the first thing you do with kids is you probably blame the kids. But yeah. when the thing that is missing, there are 10 of them and they are heavier than the children themselves. I How do you even make sense of that? No, that would make me incredibly nervous. I just burned down the house so I wouldn't have to answer any questions. I mean, maybe that's extreme, but I, I just... Uh, it might be a little extreme. Maybe a little bit? I think maybe leaving was probably the right choice in this case. That would be exceptionally weird. And to only hear one loud bang? Yeah. that's a whole. It reminded me of... Um, I can't remember what it was, but they were talking about... 
uh, it was a science fiction story, I think, where someone would teleport and you would hear the air rushing back yeah, in yeah, to fill yeah, the empty yeah. space. Yeah. And, and I just think, man, some interstellar con man has just teleported away <laughs> 10 beds that he's going to turn into starship scrap or something. <laughs> Iron in another dimension is actually worth more than platinum in ours. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's the gold of some shitty Battlefield Earth kind of dimension. <laughs> it's awesome. Have you ever read that book, Battlefield <laughs> Earth? No, it's all about Scientology, isn't it? More or less. Yeah. I, I mean, well, it's not about Scientology. It's but sort it's of the theme. theme and, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, I read I'm, all thousand twelve hundred pages of it. Jesus. Yeah, I'm stupid. Wow. No, if I want to be friends with Christy Alley, I'll read it. But otherwise, <laughs> the Bisbee Dust. Over this past weekend, I went down to Bisbee, Arizona, for a yearly trip I take with some girlfriends. Bisbee is an old mining town, and there's not a lot going on. I've heard some locals say there are more spirits there than people. On this particular trip, we decided to stay somewhere new, at the Shady Dell Campground, which is a bunch of refurbished campers from the 40s and 50s you can rent. We decided on the Tiki Bus, a 1947 airporter done up in a Polynesian style, complete with tiki gods and a grass roof on the inside. One thing I happened to notice is that this campground is at the edge of Evergreen Cemetery. I didn't much think about it, though. Once we arrived, we marveled at the outdoor bar and all the antiques inside, including old records and funky 1950s lamps. Then we three decided to hit the hay. The bus has one full twin mattress with one smaller twin mattress, both located across from each other. I shared the larger bed with one of my friends and decided I would sleep on the inside, closest to the wall. It was a windy night, and the trees above the bus kept scraping the metal, which, as you can imagine, was not a quiet sound. The mattress was also uncomfortable, so after about an hour of sleep, I woke up. I lay there awake for some time when all of a sudden I heard what sounded like nails scratching down the side of the mattress. Now, I have a pet ferret who likes to climb on things, and this sound was identical to when she is trying to climb up on the bed and loses her footing. The only problem was my ferret was at home. My blood went cold. I tried to reason with myself. It's probably the wind outside. What else could it be? But this sound was inches from my face, and it was definitely the sound of scratching on fabric, not metal. Now my heart is beating out of my chest. I calm myself down, and then I started to feel something move in the mattress. I can hear it through the pillow convinced myself it was the springs in the mattress. After all, I thought everything in here is vintage. Why not the bed too? I turned over on my back and started to feel like things were touching my face and hands. It felt like a spiderweb at first and then graduated to what felt like someone sprinkling sand over my face. I'd go to wipe it away and nothing was there. Let me say that at this point I was completely terrified. I conjured up every prayer I had learned as a child and said them over and over again in my mind until whatever it was went away. After what seemed like an eternity, the sun came up. One of my girlfriends went down to the restroom to take a shower, and I let my other girlfriend know about the strange experience. She and I lifted the mattress up to find that it was a futon mattress, no springs. So, so much for that theory. I had also thought that maybe an animal had gotten into the platform the bed was at from the wheel well of the old bus. Then I discovered that the wheel wells were not even close to where we slept. In the end, I only told her about the scratching sounds and the feeling of movement through the mattress. I didn't mention this feeling of stuff falling on my face. All the next day I was dreading sleeping on that bus, and when it was my time to go to bed, my friends were nice enough to let me have the smaller twin bed. My one girlfriend, to whom I had related the previous night's experience, decided to sleep in my old spot. It took a long time for me to fall asleep, but when I did, I was awoken to the sound of a gasp slash scream from the girlfriend that stayed where I had been sleeping. She brushed it off as a bad dream, but in the morning she told me she had dreamt that she was being buried alive in a coffin, and could literally feel, get this, like sand was falling on her when she was being covered up. I never told her that part. 
I still haven't. Oh, I wouldn't either. No. No. I mean, there's a few things I could, it could be actual dust just falling from the ceiling of the mm-hmm. shitty old bus, mm-hmm. you know? And I mean, you're in the middle of the desert in a drafty old crappy bus. I mean, I just imagine lizards and shit getting in there. Yeah. I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that's exactly spooky, but I, just, again, the horror of being in a bus in the desert. <laughs> On a secondhand mattress. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Vin- <laughs> vintage mattress. <laughs> I will say there was um, another story from Bisbee that I, I didn't include just because it was, it, you know, it was too long, but it involves someone staying in a camper down there and they heard someone open the door. They heard boots in the camper walking up and down. Then they heard the door open and close again. And in the morning, this person asked her husband and her friends. None of them had gotten out of bed. And Bisbee's in the middle of friggin' nowhere. Yeah. No, it's pretty scary. The comedian Doug Stanhope famously lives in Bisbee. And he always talks about how there's, you know, he lives there because there's nothing going on. (laughs) But uh, no, that, that would scare the hell out of me. Yeah. I don't know how my mom dealt with it, to be honest with you. Scout's honor. This story happened while camping with my Girl Scout troop on the north shore of Lake Superior. Our camp was made up of three separate campgrounds, with the furthest back being the largest. Since we were a full troop and needed the space, that's where we ended up. For meals, the troop was split into two groups, and since I was the leader of one, it was on me to get a fire going. Two of the girls went to get firewood while I started cleaning up the fireplace and looking for matches. At one point, I heard a sound behind me, so I turned to see if the girls were coming back with firewood. Instead, I saw four hikers walking towards the camp. Then they vanished. Thinking it had to have been my imagination, I just shook it off. When it started getting dark, everyone was less inclined to go to the porta potties alone. So when one of the girls asked a couple of us to go with her, we did. The bathroom area was back towards the camp entry, about a five-minute walk away. And once we got there, we waited outside for her. Ten minutes later, she was still in there, and we started to hear noises in the woods, so we were officially done waiting. Just before we were about to shout at her to get the hell outside, the porta potty door bust open, and the girl came running out, her face pale. We asked her what was wrong. She said there'd been a glowing green light in the bottom of the toilet. Of course, none of us particularly believed her, so I went in to check, and sure enough, There was a strange green light down there. We ran back to the camp and explained what had happened, but hardly anyone believed us. Little did we know that soon something even stranger would happen. We were getting ready for bed when a girl outside our tent said, Oh my God, come quick. When I came outside, everyone was pointing at something in one of the trees that surrounded us. Looking up, I saw something I will never forget. A cloaked figure, about two and a half feet tall, just sitting there. We panic-scattered and didn't get back to camp for another 20 minutes, by which time whatever it was had gone, and it never came back. And I would not have gone back to that I was going to say it. I wouldn't either. This is sort of a theme we've had, a sort of an unintentional theme on the show. This is, I think, the third story on the third episode in a row where we've had a story about a little tiny cloaked figure. It's true. And then a couple of listeners who've written in with their own stories. And said, thank God you shared that because I saw that and I thought I was going crazy. Yeah. Not, not to spoil it, but there's another one coming up. Dun, dun, dun. We really got to get some sound effects. That was my dramatic music. Yes, that dun, was. Dun, dun. That's more tense. Oh. I do that when it's more tense. Glad you told me. You're welcome. Yeah. When you did that at my uncle's funeral, that was, it was a bit much. Well, if he'd popped up, it would have been hilarious. Nighttime in Georgia. When I was a kid, my family had a camper at a safe little campground in Vienna, Georgia, and we spent just about every weekend there. 
It was a cheery, fun place with a lot of kids my age and no shortage of country roads to bomb around on when we got bored. One particular weekend when I was 16, we went to camp, but none of my usual friends were around except for Jason. Jason was the same age as I, but the relationship we had was like that of an older brother hanging out with his sister, so my parents trusted us to be out at night together. On this weekend, it was late, maybe 2 a.m., and I was wide awake when Jason's text message came in. He was bored and wanted to see if I felt like going out for a spin in his new truck. Yes, please. He picked me up and we went riding, but didn't go very far before he decided it would be best to go back to the campground just in case there were bored cops out looking to hassle kids. There's a little store in the campground where you can go eat, buy fishing gear, things like that, and he parked his truck there so we could talk. The topic at that time was how much he was missing his ex-girlfriend and what he should do about it. You know, standard boy stuff. Jason was a little guy, maybe 5'5", 130 pounds, but his truck was huge. Southern boys, you know? I think it was lifted about 6 inches and sat on 37-inch tires, so when it dipped down and back up real quick, like someone had jumped on the bumper, we noticed. Now remember, this is really late, maybe 3am, and we were in a well-lit area, so we could easily see around the truck, but we hadn't seen anyone coming. As soon as this happened, we both immediately stopped talking and looked back to see who it was. We couldn't even believe what we saw. There was a dark figure at the back of the truck. It looked like they were standing on the bumper, but they didn't come up very high over the tailgate. Maybe they were about four feet tall. The weirdest part was that the figure was hooded. I know it sounds cliche, but it was. We couldn't see a face or anything, just an outline. Kind of hefty, but not huge, and definitely not thin. After seeing this, which happened in a split second, I turned to look back at Jason and asked him if he saw that too, but he was already out the door walking back there to see what it was. When he came back to the truck, he looked terrified and said that whatever it was, it was gone. How it could have disappeared so fast, I don't know. But Jason hadn't seen anything, and I think that's what scared him the most. We called it a night after that. What I can't get my head around, then or now, eight years later, is how this guy or thing or whatever it was got there and then got away. It was so bright in that lot, and we were parked right in the middle, so we should have seen something, but it was just gone. And yeah, another little tiny cloaked figure just appearing out of nowhere, then going back to the same place. Well, and not just appearing, but wanting to be noticed. That's a good point, yeah. Yeah. Just because really making a point of oh, yeah. weighing it down. Yeah, and absolutely. Interesting. You couldn't miss it. And it kind of reminds me of that other story we told on the previous Woods episode about the cult. Remember, he was also wearing a hood and not showing oh, his face. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know we don't, we try to talk about what the reasons for these things could be, but I'm just fascinated by this. Yeah, I have no idea what the reasons could yeah. be, but it is really interesting. I know people who've taken DMT have told me that they've seen elves. Hmm. That's not uncommon. Uh, especially, uh, someone said mechanical elves. But it's interesting, there's this common thread of seeing these little people. Yeah. You know, in sort of fairy lore and then, you know trip reports and these people who are stone sober, but still seeing them. I really hope we don't ever see them. I'm not going to. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was very certain. I like well, that. Well, because if I do, I just will say it's not really there. Ah. Done and done. <laughs> Mischief managed. <laughs> oh man, you and Hogwarts is not a good thought. <laughs> not a good, th let's just, nope, move on before we ruin anyone's childhood. <laughs> Vada Kedavra, he's still here. Shit. Okay. <laughs> the old campground. Two summers ago, my family took our annual camping trip to a large state park in southwestern Wisconsin. The land itself is gorgeous, with deep forests and bluffs overlooking at least two lakes. 
centuries prior, local Native American tribes passed through the land in the summers to forage, and a handful of homesteaders built cabins on the land in the late 1800s. The park is divided into two halves, old and new. The latter has a nice beach, decent amenities, and tends to host more groups. That's where my family usually stays. The old side, which contains the remains of an old pioneer homestead, is not as nice. It feels strange there, uh, uneasy. It's darker than it should be, and with most campers opting to stay on the new side, it has a distinct feeling of loneliness and isolation. Even my parents, who are non-believers and somewhat hostile towards the paranormal, refuse to camp there. My dad and his family used to camp at this particular state park during his childhood, and even then, he despised the old side. Something just feels icky about it, he once admitted. It was the first night of the trip, and just as my family settled into our tents, we could hear faint peals of thunder overhead. My family are prolific tent campers, so this didn't worry us in the slightest. As I slept, I had that sort of dream in which you believe you're awake. It began with a child's high-pitched giggling, a little girl specifically. It was loud enough to just be audible over the patter of rain on the tarp above my tent. I unzipped my tent, peering out into the darkness. Despite the lack of light, I was able to see a child sitting in front of my tent. It was a little girl, probably around four or five years old. She was outfitted in a pink calico prairie-style dress with a white apron and bonnet. Her blonde hair was drenched in the rain, sticking to her shoulders. She looked like a completely normal child, albeit in the wrong century, save for one detail, her teeth. As she giggled hysterically, I noticed how strange they were. Instead of an average proportional number, her mouth was absolutely packed with sharp little teeth. The sheer number of teeth was grotesque, cramped and packed together, and thinking back on it makes me shudder even now. Suddenly, though, I woke up. Sitting at the threshold of the tent, rainwater was beginning to soak through my pajamas. I was confused. I've never sleepwalked in my life. But much to my relief, no demonic pioneer child was anywhere to be seen. Chalking it up to an incredibly disturbing and vivid dream, I crawled back into my tent and went to sleep. When I woke the next morning, the dream was at the forefront of my mind. Although my sister was hostile towards the idea of the paranormal at the time, I was too creeped out to keep the experience to myself. As I told her, her face fell. She informed me that during the night through the nylon walls of her tent, she felt an unknown force grabbing her foot. She even swore that she felt cold fingers on the other side of the fabric. Besides the obvious fact that it would be extremely improbable for someone to be sneaking around the campsite grabbing campers' feet through their tent in the middle of a downpour. Although thoroughly unsettled, we were determined to still enjoy our camping trip. No, just go. Ah, uh, yeah, pack just, it up. Just leave. Or at least sleep in the car. Take a hint. That night, my family decided to go night fishing. We piled into the van following a dark, lonely, pine-flanked road to the old side of the camp. Although that side carried an undeniably creepy vibe, we overlooked it because it had the best lake teeming with fish and wildlife. Yeah, probably a reason. Yeah, that's how they get you, you idiots. <laughs> As we pulled up to the lake, the moon broke through the clouds and our headlights illuminated the water. A thick fog rolled off the lake a product of the mid-June humidity. Our car was the only one in the parking lot, and the boat launch was completely abandoned. In fact, no one was even camping on the old side that week, and we passed no cars on the ride to the lake. 
My younger brother and sister ran ahead and onto the dock, disappearing into the darkness and fog that rolled over the water. I was helping my dad bait our hooks under the light of a flashlight. When my siblings came flying back to us, racing off the dock, their eyes wide. When we asked what was wrong, they told us they'd been skipping rocks when they heard a low whistling. Although they didn't recognize the tune, a moment later a rowboat glided by, and they heard a male voice, although they couldn't make out what was being said. That's when they booked it back to my dad and I. Nervously, we scanned the parking lot again, praying we'd been wrong, and what they had heard had a rational explanation. But we didn't even have to look. The parking lot was empty. The boat launch was empty. We were the only people near the lake. We were the only people on the old side of the camp. The next day around sundown, we returned to the lake. Again, we were the only people there. I was so caught up in chasing frogs, I found myself getting farther and farther from my family. I had just captured a frog in my hands when an out-of-place sound met my ears. The crying of an infant. Immediately, I dropped the frog in the water, straightening up and scanned my surrounding for the source of noise. The sun was beginning to slip below the horizon, and the forest and fields beside me were empty. I bravely ran back to my family. Unfortunately, that's where my story ends. We had no other paranormal occurrences that week, and in the handful of times that I've returned to that state park in the past two years, nothing out of the ordinary has happened. Would I say that's unfortunate? I feel like, no, that's good. Yeah, well, you had a bunch of paranormal experiences happen. Yeah, what more do you need? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I mean, the, the, the sleepwalking thing could just be sleepwalking, you could. know, or, or whatever. Because, I mean, I don't know, it's a bit horror movie. Yeah. You know, the whole, the whole like, teeth, mouth full of crazy sharp teeth. And if she was a ghost, why was her hair wet? Also this. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I always wonder that whenever you see horror movies with a monster who's got crazy teeth and you think, how does it eat? What do these things do in their spare in their spare time? I mean, does she have to worry about flossing every single mouth talon that she has? I think she has a water pick. Oh, well, that makes That's sense. That's how that works. Yeah, you have all the answers. Just saves time. She came from the sea. In 1971, I was in my late 20s, staying with my parents in their house in Rose Hill, Mauritius. One day, my father came home with a couple, Hank and Esther, who were tourists backpacking the country from South Africa. In those days, Mauritius had only just calmed down after the war that had followed our independence from Great Britain in 1968. That had been a dark time, matched only by the cruelty and violence of the 1999 riots. But regardless, this is about far stranger things than human nature, hard though that may be to believe. I remember Hank had a big blonde beard, but Astor's face have more or less forgotten. Either way, they were kind, and it was easy to see why my father had invited them to stay for a few days. Their visit coincided and trip to the coast we had planned, a place called Flick and Flack, which was then rather wild with only a few houses. We arrived Saturday morning, set up our tents, and headed into the sea. Hank and Astor were good swimmers and divers, and we spent most of the day in the water, catching fish, crabs, and even some lobsters, which you can no longer find near the coast nowadays. We cooked all the seafood on a barbecue we made from scraps, and together the five of us, Mum, Dad, Hank, Astor, and me, watched the sun set in perfect contentment. The night was starry, my dad was happy and drunk, and the couple was obviously having a great time. Since we were not fluent in English, communication was a bit difficult, but we could make ourselves understood with gestures and sometimes drawing on the sand. It was great fun seeing my dad trying to converse with him in his limited, broken English. Anyway, it must have been about 9pm. We were all seated on the beach, watching the ocean ahead of us, and the starry sky above. It was beautiful. Then the wailing began. 
We couldn't figure out where it was coming from. The beach was quite remote, but it sounded faintly, but clearly like a woman in distress. It drifted in and out, and since we weren't from the coast, we assumed the sound was being made by some nocturnal sea creature we were unfamiliar with. That didn't last. We were still on the beach when, to our left, some 30-40 meters away, a figure emerged from the sea. It appeared to be a woman, wearing a long white dress, striding out of the surf and up onto the beach. She was beyond the light of our bonfire, so we couldn't see her face, but in the silhouette she cast against the night sky, we could make out long hair. Silently, she walked straight up the beach, disappearing into the wall of green at its border. At first I thought it was odd, but not impossible that the woman had just gone into a house beyond the bushes, so I got up to have a look and found nothing there. No woman, no house, not even a path. That's when the fear crept in, and I realized we may have seen some kind of ghost. I walked back to the bonfire, sat and told everyone that there had been nothing to find. Everyone stopped talking then. Even Hank and Astor seemed to understand something was not right. We became aware of every single noise in the night. The roll of the surf, the crackle of the fire, even the faint crunch of a nearby animal walking softly on dry leaves. Then the silence was broken by a storm of flapping wings. A bunch of birds or bats or whatever was taking off from a nearby tree and it scared the hell out of us. My mother quietly told me she felt something wasn't right, that we were being watched. There was another loud noise, this time a thud, as though something heavy had been dropped about five or six meters in front of us on the beach, but there was nothing there. That was the last straw. Despite the fact that it was a perfect summer night, the mood was broken and everyone was on edge. Hank and Astor were talking among themselves, and from the looks on their faces, none of it was good. After this, the party was over and we went to bed, but none of us got much of a chance to sleep. In the middle of the night, we heard a scream close to our camp. It sounded like a woman being attacked. We all jumped out of our tents and looked at one another. My heart was beating so hard I was certain the others could hear it, and as one, we all started to pack up our stuff. As we were doing so, some coconuts fell in our camp, as if someone had thrown them. Now we were scared to death, and no one would talk. We heard running on the beach, then in the woods, but couldn't see anything. We quickly put our stuff in the car, which wasn't easy because it was a small car that had originally taken a lot of time and strategy to pack. The worst was the barbecue. We didn't want to leave it now that we made it, but it was hot and dirty and I burnt myself twice trying to put it away. As we packed, things were happening around us. The screams came from different places and there were other noises too odd to really describe. Since my father was too drunk to drive, I took the wheel and as I pulled away, I saw her again, a woman dressed in white standing by the little road looking at us. I stopped dead, afraid to stay, but even more afraid to get any closer to her. We sat there in a stalemate for minutes, then from behind the car we heard a loud bang, and all five of us jumped. There was nothing back there, and when we turned to the woman, she was gone too. Instead, she was right by my door, looking at me. I screamed so loudly that my throat hurt for days, then punched the accelerator, but the car couldn't move that quickly. It stalled out. Through all of this, the woman stood there looking at us, her features in shadow. In a manic haze, I turned the ignition key again, the engine caught, and we drove off as fast as we could. The car got beat to hell on those little country roads, but I didn't care. All I wanted to do was get out of there, and judging from the screaming and the rest of the car, I wasn't the only one. When we finally hit the paved highway, it was like the wind had been taken out of us, and we drove the rest of the way in deflated silence, avoiding one another's eyes. Wow. Yikes. That was scary. That was scary. I'm going to guess when Hank and Esther got back to the house, they pretty much decided to go back to South Africa. Right? 
That would be really scary. I can't imagine. The, the thud. A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109 thing is interesting because that I actually was in the other story too. Yeah. And not just that though. I know some people here in Victoria who own a farm up on Blankensop Valley. And I, I don't think I ever told you this last year. Uh, I'm not close to them anymore, but I saw the Facebook post. Something dropped a huge branch on their property mm. and they don't know where it came from, but it was a massive branch too big to have been carried by a bird. Mm -hmm. They have horses, but it's not something the horses would have moved. Right. And they have no idea how it got there. It's wow. just like it dropped. That story, yeah, no. No. Zero stars. Well, because it was ongoing and it was obviously something that wanted them out of there. I did a little bit of research and apparently that area is much more built up now. Oh. And I'm, I'm really curious to know if anyone else has had any kind of experiences there. Mm. I mean, I don't know even know how to go about researching ghost stories in Mauritius. Looks like we're going to Mauritius. Okay. What, are, what language do they speak in Mauritius? Mauritian? Oh my God. Martian. It's French, isn't it? You're asking me or you tell me? Because I have no idea. Well, no, that doesn't make sense because it's a British colony. This is this is the spices situation all over again. This <laughs> Yowie country. My job requires me to work for long stretches of time without a break. So when I finally do get a vacation, I need to get as far away from the world as possible. Thankfully, in Australia, that's not too hard if you put your mind to it. Not long ago, I had an opportunity to get some of that well-earned time off and decided to go camping with two old mates up in the bush for a few days. We'd heard about a place way out in northern New South Wales at the back of Mount Lindsay that the locals call Yowie Country. A Yowie is an Australian equivalent of Bigfoot, sort of an aboriginal mystic creature like the Bunyip. Our camping site was on an old walking trail that no one bothers with. It's hours into the national park, well away from the world, and perfect for an old grump like me. We parked the trucks as close as we could, a few miles from where we needed to be, and hiked the rest of the way in, along the barely recognizable trail, trying like hell to avoid snakes and the jack jumper ants. Those things are god-awful. I'm sorry, jumping ants? Yeah, I looked these things up. Uh, it's it's all bad. They're, it's a real thing, and it's all bad. Well, you know, Australia has seven of the world's most deadliest, ten most deadliest creatures. I Yeah, I have no problem believing that. Yeah. I'd be, like, camping in the back of the truck. Well, that's how you know they're Australian and they're not tourists. Right. Yeah. They just have that, that unshakable sense of stewardship over the land. Like, I can just wander through here and everything will be fine. Wow. I would be afraid to step outside my hotel room. Yeah, exactly. Once we found a site, it took about 20 minutes to get set up, bury our beer and food to keep it cold, and dig out a decent fire pit. Once we'd gathered firewood, we settled in for a night of playing cards, drinking, and talking about women. You know, the usual BS. As I remember it, the night was clear and hot, with the stars like little eyes peering down at us. I had to go water the old lizard and stumbled off with the torch into the bush. The lads were being funny, shouting out, Beware the boogeyman! But I was more concerned about the deaf adders and the brown snakes, never mind the bloody boogeyman. As I was doing my business and gazing at the stars, a strange and horrible smell overwhelmed me. It was sulfurous and rotten, like someone let off a fart that stunk so bad it made my eyes burn. 
I started gagging, and as I was stumbling back to the campsite, I thought I heard a deep growl, like when your stomach rumbles, but so much louder. The hairs on the back of my neck rose as I quickly hurried back to the site. I told the other two, but they said it might have been some animal, so we went back to our card playing. By 11.45, I was dead beat and had my sleeping bag already unrolled. It wasn't long before I passed out. I don't know how long I was asleep, but the three of us were suddenly woken up by the loudest, most piercing scream I have ever heard. Understand me, it was not human. If anything, it was inhuman. We sat up and looked at each other, and then we heard loud crashing coming towards our campsite, like a bulldozer ramping through the bush. Whatever the hell it was, it was big. Then I saw it. Something massive came crashing through the forest. I couldn't make out the details, but it looked strangely like a human or even better, a gorilla. Whatever it was, it stood well over seven feet and the smell, the smell will haunt me to the end of my days, a rotting stench like a dead body. It came tearing through our campsite, then vanished into the night. We all jumped up, gibbering like madmen, and none of us slept that night. What we saw in the daylight frightened the Christ out of us. The small saplings were all bent back and snapped, and some of our gear was trampled beyond repair. We were so shaken by our experience that we drove into town. We didn't tell the locals about what we saw or heard in case they thought we were nuts. I did find out, though, that a few weeks after we saw that, someone else had the same experience a few miles from where we were. You know, this reminds me of the time a friend of mine went camping on Ant Island. They got there, and uh, now... We're shocked that it was covered in ants. It was, in fact, covered (laughs) with biting ants. (laughs) The only place you were safe was standing about hip-deep in water. Wow. So, I'm not quite sure what they expected, but Ant Island, in fact, had ants. So, these guys went to Yowie Country. Right. They went to Giant Condor Pass. Yes. And they were shocked, shocked when Giant Condors picked up their tent and flew away. <laughs> I love it. Don't stay at Giant Condor Pass unless no. you're looking to log some air miles. Yes. <laughs> so I don't know what these dudes were expecting. Pretty cool story though. Oh, it's it creepy as hell. Yeah. I mean, a friend of mine was actually camping up island here and um, they had the smell thing. Okay. Yeah. And, it, you know, he said he smelled bears and things like that before. Yeah. It wasn't that. It was something else. I've heard people tell stories about Isuk. Oh, really? Yeah, that they've experienced some weird kind of Sasquatchy things in Isuk. Interesting. Yeah. Well, Isuk is weird. It is weird. I mean, and we've talked about this before, yeah. but that's the only place I've ever felt compelled to go hiking alone. It did did I not tell you about that? separate you from the... From I, the, I uh, drove out there once. Wow. And I, I hiked Isuk alone and uh, got lost for a little bit. Yeah, you think? Yeah. I, I, I came... Thankfully, some very nice women came along and pointed me back to where I needed to go, but uh, no, I got... I was looking for the petroglyph and I just got oh, turned around, yeah. but, uh, I, for some reason, some friends had taken me out there, showed me around. I loved it. Just fell in yeah, love with the place. It is beautiful. And the next day or two days after drove out by myself, which I never do. And thinking about it now, how odd that is yeah. that I would go hiking off in the woods somewhere by myself. Yeah. You know, this is very clearly pre book, pre podcast, <laughs> but, uh, no, the interesting about the, yeah. the Bigfoot thing though, yeah, it is. cause I go back and forth on my belief in, in. You know, the, the wood ape, well, okay, I, I never believe in the wood ape thing. And I know right. there are some people this is going to piss off. That has never held much water with me. The idea that these things are like forest ninjas that, you know, are 400,000 pounds crashing through the woods like a bulldozer, but can also 
hide in an instant. I just don't think that's a thing. Well, if, for me, it's very similar to the UFO thing. Like, if they're there, great. If not, I don't care. <laughs> I know. They just hold no... I'm, I'm very accepting, maybe, or I don't disbelieve, but... Uh, I don't, I don't You just care. don't think it's spend much time thinking about it? No. No, that's fair enough. I mean, I probably would if I was in a broken down car in the middle of the woods on a logging road. I'm pretty sure it would take up quite a bit of my time. <laughs> but in my day-to-day life, eh, I'm good. Just not, a, just not a major concern. No. You've, you've got... If the aliens aren't taking me off into their ship, whatever. Do what you will. I admire your, well, your, your sang-froid. I can't do anything about it. I guess. And what would I do if I could? Quite frankly, worrying about things I can't control is kind of my brand. <laughs> so it's hard to put myself in that. It is your number one hobby. Yeah, it, really, yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know how we're like number 31 in Panama? Well, I'm number one in, in worry. worrying about shit I cannot control. <laughs> Panamaniacs. That's funny. Panamaniacs. Oh, your turn. The Screaming Shadow. When I was a kid, my parents often took me with them to go see my grandparents in Louisiana. It was a long drive and my grandparents had a small house, so we would always bring our camper and I'd hang out in there when being around the adults got to be boring or they wanted time to themselves. Most of the time I liked being on my own, but when I was 13, something happened that made my solo time a lot less comfortable. It was Thanksgiving and since my family doesn't see each other very often, even at 1.30 in the morning everyone was still inside my grandparents' house smoking and catching up. That sounds a lot like my family. As for me, I was tucked up in the camper watching television. At some point, I became aware of the dogs barking outside, so I went to the window to see what it was that had gotten them so excited. The dogs were pit bulls, generally sweet in nature, but that night they were growling and chasing after something I couldn't quite see. It was dark and low to the ground, darting back and forth, in and out of cover as it fled. Finally, the pitties chased the thing to the fence, and it jumped over. They kept barking, but could no longer get at it. The thing, which I had thought was an animal, stopped once it was near the glow of my grandfather's shop light. That's when I realized it wasn't what I thought it was. The thing rose up to a height taller than a normal man. It was slim, almost elongated, and totally black. It turned to face the dogs on the other side of the fence and let loose with a scream I can still hear now. Time has done nothing to make this memory easier for me to process. Have you ever heard an owl screech as it makes a move on its prey? The idea is that the rodent or whatever it is is so terrified by the sound that it roots to the spot and the owl can swoop right in and take it to that big old rat trap in the sky. This was like that. I froze and never to live that moment over and over in my nightmares. The dogs started yelping and ran into their doghouse. The thing turned away then, and just as it did, whatever passes for its front faced me, and I felt like it saw me. Nothing in my life has ever felt as terrible as that moment, and as the creature lit off for the woods, I tried to crawl as far into my chair as but possibly could. The only thing that scared me more than what I'd seen was the possibility that it would come back for me. It never did, and I'm a grown man now, but part of me is still there, waiting for it to return. Nerf. Yeah. It's another hard pass. Yeah. Have you ever been um, scared so bad that you froze? No. I have. Really? And it wasn't paranormal. Really? So, when I was a kid, I've told you before, I grew up in a really religious household. Yeah. So, my parents decided to go to this religious zealot conference. I don't know how else to tell it. And it was in the University of Saskatoon. Oof. Strike one. Um, it's actually quite a lovely campus. To be oh, okay. Like, yeah. It's I'm just quite being nice. an asshole. No, it's quite nice. It's got a museum, everything. Anyway, there was a kid's program that we were expected to go to. 
But I'd met two kids there who were like way cooler than me. And they're like, this sucks. We're out of here. And I'm like, take me with you. <laughs> and so we bolted the very first day. We were there for a week. Oh, wow. And we would go, go to breakfast, go with our younger siblings to this program. Right. And then out the, out the side door. And no one ever knows we were gone. We spent the entire week running through the empty, because of course it was summer, right? the empty university. And because it is Saskatoon and because it is cold, there's tunnels that connect every building on campus in a giant square. Oh, wow. So you can run through these tunnels and you can, yeah, so you can get to wherever you're oh, going. Okay, just one sec. You can, why would you? Because uh, it's really cold out. I understand why the tunnels exist. Why would you as children then play in those tunnels? Oh, um, because we didn't want to get caught. If we got caught, we were going to get sent back to the kids program or worse. I see. Okay. Like we would be in shit. Right. Um, so we would show up at lunch and we'd show up at dinner, but otherwise screw the kids program. Right. So I guess it was like Wednesday or Thursday. We were running through one of the upper levels of a building. So right. we were in the dorm. It was completely abandoned. What no one had told us, and of course, why would they, was they were testing the fire alarms. Oh. So we're running down a very, very, very long hallway. The alarms go off and all these doors start to close on us. Oh, my God. And we are 100% convinced. That you've been caught. That we've been caught. But I remember the sound and the doors closing and I froze in mid-run. Froze. Like, just... Like, I... I couldn't even move if I'd wanted to. It was like my body just 100% tensed up and it seemed like forever. And then it let me go. And I, I, wow. I kept running. Um, and yeah, we came out of the building and these guys were looking at us like, what the fuck are you doing in there? <laughs> and, and they're like, we're testing the alarms. Like we do this every summer. We're like, oh yeah, we knew that. We're students here. Yeah. Just ignore the giant yeah, pile we of like dookie 14. back there. Yeah. yeah we're yeah. like 14. Um, but yeah, that was. Wow. So when, when this person is talking about an owl screeching to make its prey freeze, yep. You got, yeah, you oh, understood it, Oh, totally. It was a really fun week. Like, I got zero religious training whatsoever. Which and, is probably the way it should go. Yeah. And, of course, told my parents the kids program was awesome. But, um, and I don't know why my brother didn't rat me out. I think he must have been in a different group. Oh, uh, you didn't know? Because he was two years younger than me. Because he would have ratted me up in a <laughs> right. heartbeat. Um, but yeah, it was that was a fun week. I remember when I was uh, when I was in catechism because so I was raised Catholic, yeah. so I went to catechism. I was confirmed, all that jazz. I was confirmed, and uh, it really, yeah. But in the Anglican Church, so your people wouldn't have considered it authentic. Yeah, no, you're fake. <laughs> you're not real, like filthy was, Protestants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, I think it was we reached a certain age. I want to say grade six, maybe. And because I went through catechism literally from the time I was a little kid to the time I was confirmed. Wow. Oh, yeah. yeah. We only had to do like a three-week course. Oh, no, it was <laughs> it was a lot. Yeah. And But what started happening is my friend and I would walk to catechism. But instead, we would kind of turn off from the church. We'd go buy a hot chocolate and walk around for half an hour, then go to catechism for the last 20 minutes. Yes. And then one day, we got busted because my family decided to go out for a stroll after we left oh. and we just caught caught dead to rights standing there oops yeah i did the same thing in church um we would have like in the church i grew up in they would do a couple of songs and there'd be a kid's story and all the kids would go to sunday school and then an hour later all the kids would come back into church and we'd do communion right so me and my friend we'd walk out with everyone else but we just kept 
going and we'd walk to 7-Eleven and get Slurpees and stuff and screw around and then look at our watch and be like, oh, time to go back. And then we'd head back in and walk back into church. Like We had alarmingly happened. similar past in certain ways. <laughs> I had that another time too, where I literally froze in fear. Oh, I remember. I was 16 years old, my first girlfriend, no, second girlfriend, and she and I and her little sister were driving around in her parents' car, because that's what we did for fun, Right. and we were stealing lawn ornaments oh, God. late at night, and it was my first encounter with a motion sensor um, um, yard light. Oh, yeah. I'd never seen one before. Oh. So I'm sneaking up this person's front lawn. That's right, to grab kids. That's their, new technology. We're sneaking up the lawn to grab their this person's gnome. And the light came on. And oh. I froze because I thought, oh, fuck. Right. They saw me. And then I could see the people in the house. And they were just watching TV. And that's when I realized, uh, uh, oh, what witchcraft is this? <laughs> then I stole their lawn gnome. And then I stole their gnome. Of course. Yeah. Jesus. And then we took all the lawn ornaments we stole and we put them on all our friends' lawns. Framing someone else for the crime. Well, no, just like, uh, this will fuck with their mind. Wake that up would... in the morning and find a flamingo in the front yard. Come on, that's funny. I was a weird kid. Yeah. Yeah, you see. But that. I was fun. <laughs> weird but fun. The Ian Gibbs weird story. Weird but fun. Ian's basic rule for life. All right, you charmer, you. The Mirage. A group of friends and I once got lost while hiking in Utah's Dead Horse Point State Park. Okay, right there. <laughs> you know that's not going to be a good place to hang out. And together we witnessed something mysterious and kind of beautiful in a way. It was late in the afternoon with the sun dipping low towards the horizon. And like idiots, we wandered off the trail. By the time we tried to find our way back, it was getting dark and none of us had any damn idea where we were going. So we just kept walking and walking. Once the sun had fully set, I was keenly aware of the feeling of eyes watching us from the darkness. As we came over the top of a hill, we spotted firelight reflecting around the bend ahead of us and were happy to see it. I picked up my pace and strode forward, thinking it was other campers, maybe even someone we could crash with for the night since there was no way in hell we were going to find the trail again in the dark. As I rounded the bend, I stopped dead in shock. My friends, who were marching single file behind me, bumping into each other in a line as they came to a sudden stop. Ahead of me was a small group of Native Americans, camped in a small alcove in the cliffside. I do not know what tribe they were from, but the scene was rather domestic and appeared to be a small family group. There was an older man in his late thirties, a woman about the same age, a man and a woman in their late teens or early twenties, and a boy of about five or six. The men were sitting by the fire eating while the women bustled about setting up sleeping places and the little boy ran around playing. None of them gave the slightest indication they were aware of us. As we stood there watching, the scene slowly faded from view. Once they'd gone completely and the shock were off, we stepped into the little alcove where we'd seen them but couldn't find any signs of a campfire or anything else. We decided to camp there until morning and then try and find our way out. When the sun rose the next morning, we searched the area properly and found a turquoise bead and an arrowhead. We also found the back wall of the alcove marked with what looked like faded soot. We continued on our way and were eventually found by rangers who'd begun looking for us when we did not return to the campground at our scheduled time. On the way back to camp, I told one of them what we'd seen, and they nodded their faces impassive behind their sunglasses. Yeah, 
they said. You're not the only one. Huh? That reminds me of another story we told. Remember when they, um, most people were on a hike and they went up to this high point and they were releasing a whole bunch of water out of a dam and the water rose and rose and rose and they looked up beside them to the other highest point and there was a man on a horse, like a cowboy, looking out over the water and then he just turned and started to march away and he just disappeared. I have no memory of this whatsoever. Yeah, it was in one of our shows. It sounds like a great story. <laughs> I read it, so maybe that's why I don't remember. Maybe. You, 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 not you say attention. so many things. I know. Pretty, oh, man. I know. Talk, talk, talk. Oh, my God. And you want to read half the stories. And then... Oh, my God. <laughs> Kids, mom, and dad are having a fight right now. <laughs> it's not not because of anything you did. No, we still love you. We love you. We're just going to have an arm wrestle, get this out of the way. <laughs> And I'll take the car and go to my friend's house. That's right. And I'll get drunk on the sofa. <laughs> on boxed wine. Yeah, that's... Watching Murder, She Wrote. Oh, wow. Oh my God, I'm flashing back to my childhood. The man who didn't flinch. Hunting, fishing, and being outside is what I'm all about. I've been lost alone in the woods and have been in places that, if one would allow it to happen, would scare anyone. And I've come out just fine. Except for one time. It was in 1986, in the woods around Tignall, Georgia. I was in a hunting camp with some friends and had spotted a nice area that had been clear-cut three or four years ago. The undergrowth was about head high and thick as could be, the perfect place for deer to hide. My companions told me they had hunted the area before to no avail, but I figured they were just lousy hunters. So I drove my truck up the service road to the end of the clear-cut where the big tree stood. I carried my portable deer stand to a nice strong tree and climbed up. On the way to the stand, I passed the old foundation and chimney of what I thought was probably an old pre-Civil War house. That was my guess, at least. I sat up in the tree for hours. No sign of anything. I looked at the old chimney, and suddenly there was a man in a dark tree at me. Although I had permission to hunt the land, I decided to make contact and make sure I wasn't on someone else's property. I waved. He did nothing. I climbed down and walked over. No one was there. I went back up the tree. He was back. On my third trip back up, I yelled at the man. He didn't even move. Now, I broke a fundamental law of hunting. I zeroed in on the man with my scope. He was wearing a plain jacket and pants. I could see his beard. I was really ticked off, so I went back down. I walked over to the chimney and looked at some landmarks I'd found with the scope. They were an old bucket near the chimney and a tree with two busted limbs. They were directly behind where the man was standing. Once again, I climbed down, walked over to the chimney, and examined the ground. No footprints except mine. Now I was scared and mad. I thought some of my buddies were screwing with me. I checked all around the old foundation and surrounding area. Nothing. I decided to get the heck out of there. I went back up the tree to get my tree stand and took another look. Sure enough, there he was. I then did something I have never done before and I haven't done it since. I put a round from a odd 6 rifle right above his head. He didn't even blink. I knew then something was very wrong. I repeated the shot, but this time right at his feet. Same result. By that time, I was ready to go. On my way past that old house, I saw where my bullet had hit the ground and where the other had hit the chimney. All I wanted to do was get out of there in a hurry. As I was driving up the service road, I was shaking, and I stopped and thought about the whole morning. Why were there no birds? How come I never saw any sign of deer, rabbits, squirrels, or anything else? 
When I got to the main road, I saw an old man working his garden. I stopped and asked him of the land I was just on, and he laughed at me for hunting there. He said, ain't nothing lives down that road but trees. He added that during the Civil War, a whole family was killed by a stranger who was never caught, or at least that's what his grandpa had told him. All he knew was that it was a waste of time to hunt anything down in those woods. I went back to the deer camp and lodge, quietly packed my stuff, and I left without saying a word. I never told this story for the ridicule the guys would have given me, but every now and then I have a dream where I'm up in that tree, and the man walks right up to it. Every time, I wake up scared as a baby. All right, well, that's our last story. And wow, that was a good one. Yeah, and that's going to do it for Camp Nowhere, and I mean nowhere. Yeah. Because camping, as we've seen, is not great. No. For every helpful specter in a mountain nook, there is a, <laughs> a screaming shadow, whatever the fuck it was. Waiting to disembowel you. Or whatever. Or yeah. whatever. Do various unpleasant things and haunt your dreams for the rest of your days. Pretty much. Yeah. No. Yep. Stay inside, order a pizza. <laughs> There's some pretty great stuff on Netflix right now. <laughs> That's great advice, Brennan. Thank you. You're quite the life coach. Seasoned outdoorsman that I am. That's right. Stay disconnected from everything around you. Remain only in your homes. It has worked well so far. <laughs> I'm a well-rounded human. You're rounded. Close enough. <laughs> We're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we'll have our patron shout-outs and listener mail. Welcome back. As always, we'd like to thank the rest of the team, Luke Greensmith, Anthony Germain, and Sarah Kent for their help in getting this episode together and keeping this whole show rolling. Slaving away back in the old ghost story guy offices. That's the yes, <laughs> Back at GSGHQ. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> First up, we have our patron shout outs. Of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but we'd especially like to thank our latest patrons. They are Kimberly. Gremlin73, which I'm guessing is not that person's given name. I hope it is, though. <laughs> Chaotic Jellyfish, also hopefully that's a real name. And Melinda. Yes. Thank you so much for contributing, guys. I can't tell you how much we appreciate it. Helps us pay the bills. It does. Helps us just, helps us do new things. We yeah. actually have this new piece of equipment uh, that we're learning today. Yeah. And uh, so if the show sounds a little different, that's why. Hopefully better. Hopefully better. <laughs> but I'm still learning. I was I was learning this at uh, 3 a.m. last night. Not good. No, zero stars. So hopefully. But anyways, thanks to the patrons. We can do that. We can upgrade the equipment. We can just make the show better. And yeah. hopefully uh, a better, more entertaining show for you. And we appreciate the hell out of it. So thank you so we much. Really do. If you want to join our Patreon, head on over to patreon.com slash ghost story guys. We have tiers at the one, five, 10, 20 and $50 levels. Starting at five, you get everything from the monthly cabin fever episodes, which is me and Ian shooting the breeze about things that don't fit in the regular show. There's also Luke lore, which is Luke's monthly dive into a folklore topic of his choosing. And then there's the physical stuff. You get exclusive stickers and the higher up you go, the more you get. 20, you get access to Ian's smash hit, Christian Country Album, Aware of Wonder. <laughs> you also get three signed art cards of my night photography. And uh, we we were planning to have it in place in this episode, but I did not get organized fast enough. I know, terrible. We're going to have a, by uh, every two episodes, we're going to have a shout out to our patrons in Ghost Force. Ghost Force. Ghost Force. And that's a $20 level, so... 
If you want to learn more about that, head on over to patreon.com slash ghost story guys. But I tell you what, folks, we just appreciate you listening. Yeah, we really do. Our numbers keep growing and growing and it's... We're up to dozens. Literally, dozens of listeners. That's right. Literally dozens. And we are so grateful. <laughs> we appreciate all of you. So thank you so much. And, you know, we should say thank you, too, to everyone who's left reviews on iTunes. And oh, my places. gosh, yes. We, we saw that a bunch, much more had come in. I think we've yeah. got a few hundred ratings now. Yeah. And we just really, again, it, it means the world to us that you would take even a minute to do that. Uh, and so thank you again for please, doing that. Please, please, please do that. If you haven't done it already, go in and, and write one for us and say nice things. We'd appreciate it. Or it'll make Ian cry. Well, I kind of like that. <laughs> if you don't do it, anyways, it's complicated. But either way, write yeah, one. Write and review it. us on i. Write and review us on iTunes. Thank you so much. Yeah, five star goes on iTunes. Anything less, talk to us first. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next up, we have listener mail. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. As always, we want to thank everyone who's taken the time to get a hold of us on the various internets, be it through email, Facebook, or Instagram. And this time around, we'd like to thank Sharon, Emma, Allison, Ruth, Lisa, Andrew, Jackie, Bob, Jenna, Lisa, Allison, Megan, Travis, and Victoria. Thank you again, everyone who wrote in, you sent us stories. We are looking forward to uh, patron story October. And I think we have three episodes in October and I do believe it'll be all patron stories. Nice. So I'm really looking forward to that. If you have a story you want to share, send it to us at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We'd love to hear it. Yeah. And if you want us to share it on the show for uh, patron story October, let us know and we will do that. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ghost story guys. And we got a pretty rocking Instagram account. If I do say so myself, it's cause you run it. Yes, sir. <laughs> you bet your ass at uh, Instagram.com slash the ghost story guys. If you want to pick up some merch, head on over to our website at ghoststoryguys.com. We have links to our Redbubble and Threadless stores. And from there you can get any number of things from shirts, stickers, clocks, any manner of ghost shower story curtains. guys crap, shower curtains, and if you do buy something, make sure to send us a picture of you wearing it or a forward a copy of your receipt, and we'll send you some stickers as a mm-hmm. thank you. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, we have a, a milestone coming up. We're not going to say what yet, because we haven't hit there yet, but I think we'll probably hit it in the next couple, probably the next month. And we're going to be adding some new stuff to the store, some exclusive stuff um, sort of made for us by an artist who listens to the show. And again, I can't get into the details of it yet because we haven't hit the milestone yet, but we're pretty excited. It's a pretty, it's going to be a pretty big deal for us. Mm-hmm. So keep an eye out in the store for that. Keep an eye out on our social media for that. Yep. Speaking of social media, our book club, the Ghost Story Guys book club is starting a new book for August. And uh, our first book was the Dybbuk Box by Jason Haxton. That was June and July. I think we're going to be going to a monthly format now. Nice. So every month will be a different book. So this month's book is Ghosts of the Grand Canyon by Judy and Brian James Martinez. And I've only read a little bit of it so far, but I enjoyed what I found. Some gr- pretty creepy stories in there. Uh, you actually saw the creation of a ghost of the Grand Canyon Unfortunately, once. I did. Yeah. yeah. If you want to join the book club, head on over to the Goodreads website at goodreads.com and search for Ghost Story Guys Book Club. You'll be able to find a link there. And I think there may also be a link on our website. And if there isn't, there will be one soon. If you're passing through town and you want to meet up, send us a message. Again, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We might be able to make that happen. Send. we just had uh, Stephen Holly in town. We had a chance to hang out with them. It was pretty cool. So, yeah. If- Your chances go up if you offer to buy us dinner. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah, a lot of it's just dependent on work. But yeah. uh, if you do come through Victoria, you want to get a coffee or something, send us a message and let us know. 
We also wanted to take a quick moment to congratulate Paul of Mysteries and Monsters, who we've mentioned on the show already a few times. Paul, you're going to have to start paying us ad money here. <laughs> but uh, Paul just got picked up on UK Paranormal Radio. Nice job, Paul. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So good for you, man. Congratulations. You certainly deserve it. Paul, of course, had us on there on episode three. Aww. And I have to imagine they're just not going to run our episode on the radio because there were several um, four-letter words that I don't think you can say on the UK radio or any radio station actually no no but that's never stopped you true you've this, gotten better i to be fair i have never sworn on live radio oh wow N never once what a hero <laughs> let me have this let me have this <laughs> i'd like to thank our musical guests these roads are haunted for their use of their song death toll you can find more from them at these roads are haunted.bandcamp.com and of course on all the major streaming platforms and I guess that's going to do it. Yeah. We'll be back in two weeks with another show. And until then, into the darkness we go. Good. Shut the fuck up. Meet that bitch. Look at me. I am the narrator now. <laughs> I can say this. I'm Catholic. That's right. That's right. It's our word. How much must it suck to be the Polynesian people and your entire religious iconography is now something we have for pool parties? Yeah. That must suck. Yep. Yeah. Ugh, another Girl Scout one. Yeah, there's a couple. Why am I the Girl Scout guy today? Uh, I'm just being whiny. Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> I'm leaving it in. <laughs> you wouldn't let me leave the grinder joke in. <laughs> oh, that's...
infinitely worse. Oh, wow. I found something you're grossed out by. <laughs> yes. 100%. <laughs> yes. Okay. I've never been to the, I have not been to the East Rim, but I think you actually have to apply for a special permit for that. Oh, right. Always ask for permission before you attempt the rim. <laughs> what was that? You sound like Popeye. So I think it's a backhanded compliment. Yeah. Yeah. We're not going to do that. Of course not. No. But it just made me laugh. Yeah. Inside. Sorry. Inside. Wasn't that funny when I said it? No, it really wasn't. It really that wasn't. was spectacularly unfunny, as a matter of fact. It felt like it was dying as it came out of my mouth. Mm, it smelled quite, like it too. Quite yeah, painful. Yeah, yeah. That, that was the, the, the yeah, that was bad. That was that was a, that was the Hindenburg of jokes. <laughs> oh come on! All the humanity, people are scattering. Gibbs is crashing the earth. It's terrifying. It's the worst thing I've ever seen.